The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to two hours of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. I love food. I love eating it and looking at it and reading and writing about it and creating it and sharing it and talking about it, especially here on the radio. Good morning, food lovers. If you love to cook or love to eat, then you're definitely in the right place. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. Good morning, Lana. Good morning. It's another delicious Sunday right here on KFWB News Talk 980. And every Sunday you'll find us here, two hours of delicious conversation and fabulous food starting right here and right now. What are you cooking this weekend? Is it a batch of biscuits or a pot of chili? We want to know what's on your table. We're giving you great ideas and inspiration for every kind of food. We're taking you from the professional test kitchen to the home cook's kitchen on a weekly basis because we believe that food tells a story. So that we hope you will stay tuned to share something, learn something new, and gain delicious tips for making every day certainly more scrumptious. Let me tell you what is on your plate this morning. We hope you will stay tuned. You're going to learn some True inspiration coming up for uh, how you can plan the perfect picnic, make roasted chicken, treat your kids to the best back-to-school lunches. We're also going to give you some of the best L.A. hot spots when it comes to dining, whether it be food that's fast or gourmet feasts or even fine dining in Southern California. And coming up later next hour, Master Top or Top Chef Master rather, Michael Schlau is going to. To join us and he has a brilliant burger to share along with some inspiration for the end of summer too so we have a full plate and i'm delighted mm. and we're going to kick off this morning by answering email questions thank you to all of you who came to our live radio breakfast and broadcast this past sunday at bristol farms manhattan beach we kicked off hatch chili season 2012 and it was a blast oh roasting and watching the Chili's roast is fabulous. Yeah, it was, I thought, a really great crowd. Mm. And we learned to make a ristra, a chili ristra. The video mm. is posted on YouTube, and you can find more information and lessons at chefjamie.com. And we're back at Bristol Farm September 9th in Newport Beach. Yes, and that's the close to chili season. So you have between now and then to find the live roasting date at the Bristol Farm store near you on their website at bristolfarms.com, savoring the New Mexico green hatch chili for its very short season watching it roast over a thousand degrees in those fire roasters charred skins beautiful smoky flavor and an incredibly amazing amount of preparations or methods that you can use the chilies for right we talked about chili rellenos we served hatch chili tequila i mean you can use it just about every way Mm -hmm. this hatch chili and chili heads united last sunday Uh, but james wrote us an email and we've gotten a lot of email since the show on how to handle the chilies that he bought and brought home Mm -hmm. and you can find them by the way at bristol farm stores really outside of the hatch chili roasting dates as well because they sell them in a cryovac pack Mm -hmm. in a bag as well as a large box roasted 
So you can buy them roasted, you can buy them fresh, but if you should buy them roasted like James did, he's kept them in his fridge. He made a really delicious omelet, he said, Mm -hmm. and now he needs to know what to do with them to store them if you haven't used them all up. So here are a couple of quick tips for hatch chili roasting season or any chili that you might have the bounty of from your garden. You know, they've turned to that glorious red color, um, beautiful from the sun this summer. You throw them on the barbecue and roast them. The skins are charred or you pick them up. The hatch chilies at Bristol. I like to freeze them with the skins on because I find when you thaw them, the skins come off even easier. Mm -hmm. Or you can clean them now, James. Just run them under a drizzle of water. Not too much because they do say you wash away some of the flavor. Take the skins off. Take the seeds and the stem out. And then freeze them just that way. A clean hatch chili ready to use at any time or you could puree the chilies how about the roasted chilies just take the package and put it right in the freezer you could put the package just straight in the freezer mm-hmm. that way too, yes, and then thaw it and use it as you like. So mm-hmm. it's up to you. Do remember, though, that when you freeze them, they do gain heat if they are uncleaned. If you leave them with the seeds inside, they will get hotter over time in the freezer, which, by the way, some people really love. But you're talking about roasted. Yes, the roasted. Mm-hmm. Yes, Exactly. And now for the fresh chilies, those you would need to, in order to uh, savor them over a long period of time, they're much better frozen if they're roasted, but Mm -hmm. the fresh chilies you would need to cook or prep in some way in order to freeze them. So you would need to cook them and puree them, or you'd need to chop them up and make a relish with lemon zest, let's say. Um, But there is a big hatch chili piece um, with all the tips you need, James, on the website at chefjamie.com. So be sure to check it out. It's time for the technique of the week this morning. We're going to kick it off by broadening your cooking skills and uh, making sure that you brush up on some of those really impressive cooking tips that great cooks want to know. This is a lesson in pickling because there's so much left in the garden right now. What do you do with the peppers, the tomatoes, the green beans? And if you're a pickle lover like me, I had a pickle epiphany when we were at Momofuku Sambar in New York many years ago. David Chang is known for life-changing pickles. And they're served at his restaurants as a starter. And I'd take them every day over a bread basket, by the way. They're very fresh and crisp and crunchy, these Momofuku pickles. And each of the vegetables has a very distinct flavor, which is what I loved. They use rice wine vinegar at David's restaurants in New York, as opposed to cider or wine vinegar. And it has a much more delicate flavor. It doesn't overwhelm the pickle. I think that the vegetable sings beautifully. So they're light and sweet and tangy. And this summer, we made them with zucchini, which I loved, mm-hmm. Mom. I mean, beautiful, just fresh garden flavor zucchini. But and carrots too. recipe yes. is only five ingredients. Right. It's, it's very simple. It's sugar, Super simple. vinegar, water, salt, and uh, Japanese seven spice. And I think that it makes just for a very clean, quick pickle. By the way, pickling is a form of preserving. It's considered a method of brining. And the craft is said to have begun 4,000 years ago 
using cucumbers that are native to India, and it continues on. The term pickle is derived from the Dutch word pickle, meaning brine, interestingly enough. So it's quite easy to pickle vegetables. I think it's a great way to capture the seasons best. That's what I love about it. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, you remember, it brings back that memory of the zucchini that you picked from your garden or the farmer's market experience when you jar it. So there are a couple of different ways to make pickles. You can use a heat method, and that means that you can store the finished product in your pantry uh, without refrigeration for months. I like to store mine in the fridge. One, I like to eat them cold. And two, because when either Lana or I make pickles, they don't last very long. That's like my ultimate snack. But here are a few things you need to know before you start your pickling party. There are so many different mixes and blends for pickling solutions, but the very basic variety is to make your own combination of vinegar, salt, and aromatics like garlic, red pepper flakes, uh, peppercorns, fennel seeds, and you don't need any specific equipment. You need a large pot for boiling the pickling mixture or liquid, and a separate one, by the way, if you're going to uh, actually... uh, put the jars in to sterilize them essentially and then you need a bounty of vegetables you need zucchini or carrots cabbage peppers in fact you can pickle pretty much anything i like the firmer vegetables by the way but when you make your own pickling spice you can include the flavors you favor make it hotter sweeter spicier yes And so if you bought pickling spice in the market, you are destined to have the flavor that they've derived for you. But Mm -hmm. I love what you said, right? If you, I happen to add extra sugar to my pickles. I like them to be on the sweeter side. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows I have a few favorite things in the world. Bacon's on the list and agrodolce is the other, Mm -hmm. right? The Italian form of sweet sour. So I like a sweet sour pickle, like a bread and butter pickle, bring it on. So as you said, you could make your own pickling spice of all the different pickling seasonings Mm -hmm. and it usually includes bay leaves chilies cloves cinnamon stick uh, ginger allspice mustard seed coriander black pepper cardamom right and you just mix them all together according this is a really great way by the way to determine by your palate and test the spices what you love whether you have a sweet palate a savory palate if you're more on the umami side so just remember a couple of chef's notes pickling is a technique that invites experimentation so try different vegetables and spices and then depending upon the size and the density of the vegetable if you're using like baby carrots you might want to blanch them in advance so that they become toothsome or tender and then pickle them but remember, the hot brine from the pickling mixture is going to pour over those veggies and continue to cook them in the jar. So dependent upon how al dente you like your veggies, you'll determine how you plan to prepare your pickles. Now, we have a simple rice wine vinegar pickle that we created from David Chang's Momofuku pickle recipe, and that's posted on the site under techniques at chefjamie.com. The original David Chang recipe for the sambar pickles is posted as well. And then if you must have pickles tonight I posted an immediate salt and sugar pickle this is for in this is instant gratification pickled them well I happen <laughs> to be making bloody Mary's tonight so that's perfect okay I'll be right on. over can I bring my radish cucumber and watermelon pickles well I do what you do now I put all of the pickled vegetables into the bloody Mary yes because that's not a drink anymore that's a <laughs> snack with your cocktail yes. that's what I do but if you need pickles right away look for the immediate salt and sugar pickles that are posted on the website 10 or 15 minutes in a salt sugar mixture and you have a really delicious cocktail snack so it is a lesson in pickling 
and we hope you learned something here. Come sit down at the table, share and learn something new with us as the delicious conversation when we come back. How to make broasted chicken at home less greasy, crispier, and more delicious. Chef Bill Bracken along with you and I, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio right after this. We're loading your plate with ideas and recipes and tips that are easy to make and hard not to love. We've posted new recipes on the website at chefjamie.com, including a new cook with Lana, along with a radio recipe of the week and a new summer-inspired cocktail. I'm planning my cocktail list, and then I'm going to choose from it, Lana, for our end-of-summer Labor Day shindig. Mm. We're going to call it a pig out, right? Yes, we are. You don't think Amar and Bobby will mind? Not at all. Okay, good. But we're going to make summer sunset martinis, I was thinking. So um, gray goose, because I'm a goose girl, and grapefruit juice and triple sec, and maybe a splash of um, hatch chili agave to give a little bit of heat and sweetness at the same time. And when you actually shake the martini, it creates a summer sunset. After you pour it into the glass, you drizzle the grenadine down the side, and you get that beautiful cascading color, right? It's just gorgeous. And uh, you'll find that recipe as well, including brown sugar sugar glazed barbecue pineapple and Lana's Mexican layer dip all at chefjamie.com. It's the beginning of uh, football season. Yes, that it is. And Bill's menu is perfect for (laughs) football season. I love the name of his restaurant. I do too. There's a new restaurant in town in Newport Beach, California, and it's a dive. And I mean that as a compliment because it's called Dive Bar. Uh, Our good friend, Chef Bill Bracken, is at the helm. It has a really cool vibe and a great artichoke dip. And it's chicks and cattle and swine, so bring it on, baby. And it looks over the water. It does. It looks over Newport Harbor, which mm-hmm. is beautiful. And Bill is smoking away ribs and ends and brisket galore. And we have had two experiences with his broasted chicken that I just can't get enough of. And I was dishing on Facebook, and I got all this feedback from people who wanted to make broasted chicken at home. So we asked Bill to wake up very early on a Sunday morning after a late restaurant a night on a Saturday evening and join us to uh, to broast it out, right? Hey, good morning, Chef. Good morning, ladies. How good are you? Good morning. Good, and you? I am fabulous. Thank you. We're glad. Okay, so you have this crazy, casual, fun restaurant that's serving up food the old-fashioned way that we love it, and it's low and slow, and it's smoked, and it's broasted. And if we want to recreate the broasting method at home, I did a little homework, Chef. The cooking process that was trademarked by the Broaster Company of Beloit, Wisconsin was in 1954? Did your homework. Very yeah. good. Yes. <laughs> and um, it was a stainless steel pressure fryer that was made solely for the restaurant industry. Yeah, that, that happened about the same time as KFC was born. Kind of ironic, huh? Uh-huh. It is because, you know, that's what people talk about is trying to duplicate that recipe because the original KFC was broasted. Uh-huh. Correct. Yeah. So, okay, how do we get moisture, less greasy chicken, fried chicken for that matter, at home? Well, uh, you know, broasters are one thing for sure people have to be careful about. If they want to try to broast in chicken at home, they got to find something designed for broasting chicken. Yes. Uh, I did a little my own research because I've never tried to broast chicken at home. Wherever makes a, um, a, uh, a broasted uh, chicken pot, and the reason why they got to have something that's designed for uh, chi- uh, oil is because of the gaskets on them. If you take a typical home 
uh, canner or pressure cooker. Uh, you're designed for water, 100, you know, 210, 212 degrees, wherever water turns to steam. You know, you're frying something at a much higher temperature, so you have to be very careful about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, the big secret to our roasted chicken is is how we brine it and and how we marinate it the day before. You don't just throw your chicken in a little bit of flour and throw it in the deep fryer. It's just not going to give you the same outcome. Okay. Well, you just said secret, and you said it on the radio, and I won't tell anybody. Well, that's all. But I'm you should. Say. I'm done. Yeah. You, you <laughs> should probably. No, there is no goodbye yet. Hold on. You should probably disclose some of the secrets, please. Like how long do you brine for? Right. And well, in what? Brining is a salt solution, salt water solution. So I can't give away all my secrets, but there's salt and water included in the combination there. Thank you, but, Chef. But the, seriously, uh, you know, you you put uh, chicken in salt water solution for several hours. It depends really on the size of your chicken. We do anywhere from two to four hours. Uh, usually it's about three hours right in the middle. And, you know, soak it in that salt water. You don't soak it so long that it dries it out because, as you know, salt is going to pull out the moisture and ingredient if it sets it for a long time and it cures it. But you want to put it in there long enough that that salt and water really seeps into the meat and, mm. it, um, and it gives that, you know, that flavor and that, uh, that moisture. Then we pull it out and we, we dust it and, you know, just like the kernel, we have our own secret the blend of herbs and spices. Yes. But we have a flour mixture with all sorts of things, you know, some of our own uh, Cajun spice mixture, some paprika, some garlic, and uh, uh, onion powders and a variety of things. But we like to, we like to flour it, uh, only flour. There's no egg like a typical, uh, you know, double-breaded or, or fried chicken. Um, and we let it set overnight. That's really the key. Uh, we, we'll brine it today and fry it tomorrow, so it's had a lot of time to set with that uh, brine mixture and the flour on it, and it, that's the, really the secret to making that really good crispy chicken. And you know, that's the secret too. Your chicken tastes so good all the way through, like that flavor has seeped in to the meat itself, and it must be from your secret seasoning blend, but from the flour that is uh, coating that chicken for 24 hours. Thank you for disclosing those secrets, and I love that you mentioned too, you do need to have a proper pressure cooker made for roasting. And the recipes that you see that say to put six cups of oil in your traditional pressure cooker, please don't. There is a safety issue with making roasted chicken at home. And as you heard Chef Bill Bracken say, it's something you need to be very conscious about in order to make the best roasted chicken. Now, if you wish to taste the best roasted chicken before you attempt to make it at home, you have to go to Dive Bar. Because last night, a delivery truck arrived with a pizza that crust was so good chef came right off the stone in your truck this is a new innovation for delivery 18 inches oh baby it's a big pizza yeah mm-hmm. uh, you know our partner jeff Luder had this dream when he started dive bars it, it's pizza delivered to your home better than the pizza thing and uh, mm-hmm. you know we put a lot of time and research into finding the right delivery truck and you know uh mm-hmm. we really came up uh, with we found a company that does a great job in building these trucks and um you know, the oven in the back of the kitchen is right about, or I'm sorry, the kitchen in the back of the truck is just about 200 degrees. Oh, uh, that's pretty cool. Holds it just at the right temperature. Hopefully your crust is gets to your door uh, crispy. Uh, the cheese is still hot and melting and mm. uh, much better than those things delivered in a bag in a box. Oh, mm-hmm. God, God only knows. Right. And Bill, the smoke ring on your ribs and brisket is to be admired. Oh, it, no doubt. And you want to get started with the dive bar artichoke dip served with good old Fritos. You want to make sure to have five-star dive bar fries. It's the mac and cheese that made Bill Bracken famous, the pizza by the slice, and of course, the roasted chicken. Uh, it is just good, old-fashioned, fabulous food. 
and we can't wait to see you soon. Thank you for sharing the secrets of roasted chicken. You'll come back and teach us how to smoke, Bill? Absolutely. Okay, we'd love it. We'll wake you up again on a Sunday morning, baby. Take care, ladies. Yeah, and you too. You'll find Dive Bar in Newport Beach on West Coast Highway. When we come back, we're going back to school with some simple snacks. Stay with us. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio as the delicious conversation continues. It's almost back to school time, and this year you're in for a surprise if you're a mom or a dad listening. Many of the lunchbox favorites of your kids of the past are getting a makeover. We're delighted to be joined by Leah Guy, host of the celebrity talk show Who's on Deck, the author of a national column called Sage Advice, a longtime health and nutrition advocate, and the acclaimed Passionista. I love that title. She's sharing some sage advice for parents facing the challenge of packing school lunches today. And we're delighted that you've joined us. Good morning, Leah. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yes, a pleasure. Okay, so we are going back to school. And I absolutely love the trends that go along with new school lunches. We're seeing uh, a lot of wonderful health directives in the schools to get our kids eating better. But tell us what is on the menu for the new lunchbox lunch. Well, we have a lot of great um, items and flavors out this year. And as you know, this nation is facing an obesity epidemic, and it's not just in children, and adult, it's in adults as well. Right. But part of the problem with the children is the school lunches and the vending machines. So I'm really encouraging parents to take control, again, of the lunch boxes and um, food offerings at both home and at school. And one way you can do that is to involve your child in the process of shopping, of offering them healthy selections and let them select what they want to take for lunch. Um, you know, even go so far as let them make the lunchbox if they want out of those healthy selections. Engage them in this process so that they're more, you know, apt to want to participate in the school lunch. I see. I've always, I've always said that. Um, with my best friend's kids, I'm an Auntie Jamie. Leah, uh-huh. you should know. I've yeah. always believed that if you asked Paige what she wanted to eat, if she chose it herself, she was f- certainly more apt to eat it. And exactly. I certainly believe that mm-hmm. you create kids that are food savvy and more adventurous eaters if you give them an opportunity to choose and taste. Yep, I believe that too. And, you know, just make sure that the choice you're giving them are healthy and good choices, and then you don't have to worry about a thing. Let them kind of take the reins from there. So tell us, what is the hottest new school lunch, or what are we going to see in brown bags or even better yet, coolers this year? Well, what's exciting is there's a lot of the same items that you know, but really exciting new flavors and with a health-conscious bent. So, for example, you don't have to, you know, you don't have to reinvent the wheel with your lunch boxes, but add some variety, like Juicy Juice, for example. Kids have been loving their juice for years. Well, research is showing that parents are diluting more juice at home uh, to prevent, you know, from too high of uh, sugar intake and caloric intake. So Juicy Juice came out with a line. It's called Fruitiful, and it's four new flavors. It's 35% less sugar, and uh, your kids are going to love it. It's still a full serving of fruit in every pack, but it's just enough variation for them that, you know, they'll think they have a whole new lunchbox, but it's really just mm. offering a nice uh, low-sugar option to one of our favorites. Oh, that's fabulous. I yeah. think that's terrific, mm-hmm. too. If we can lower the sugar in any way, shape, or form, I think it's terrific that these companies have jumped on the bandwagon mm-hmm. to do their part as well. Um, what's the hottest sandwich, Leah? I mean, is PB&J still big? Because I, I still love it. 
I know. <laughs> I, I do. But unfortunately, you know, you can't really do PB&Js at most schools anymore because of all the, the allergies Peanut going butter. on. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, again, getting your kid involved in the process, I say take them to the grocery store, but don't skip the deli counter. There you'll find Jenny O, lean and delicious, a fresh deli turkey meat. It's high in protein. It's low in fat, 98% fat-free. It's delicious, and you can make really fun, creative sandwiches or just a plain turkey sandwich. Most kids, you know, love turkey. A turkey mayo on a good bread is, is perfect for them. So it's a, it's a great option. It's fresh, and it's tasty. And also, you still have the educational process. You know, take them to the grocery store. Let them watch the, the attendant at the deli counter. Cut the slice the meat weigh it, you know, all that kind of thing. It's, it's really engaging and fun for them. Maybe it's the kid in me, Leah, but I think it's engaging and fun, too. And when I go to Bristol Farms, where we shop, and I ask the deli person for, you know, turkey or ham or whatever it is, he always gives me a slice. And it brings back the memories of when I was a child. Yeah, And exactly. I, re- I remember Tastes shopping with best. you, Mom. Yes, That's always. right. Cool. Especially when you got to the bakery and they gave you the little cookie. Yeah, that was the best part. But that really does engage your children in getting to know what's in their lunchbox. When it comes to a turkey sandwich, the Leah question, I'm very concerned with the heat or the exposure of the lunch to, you know, whatever the day's weather should bring. What is the hottest lunchbox pack? Are there coolers or ice packs or what are you suggesting for safe? safe, healthy lunches? Well, you know what I do is really simple. I freeze the juice pack and a bottle of water and I keep them all frozen for, you know, indefinitely. They're not going to go bad in there. And it's a quick, simple way that that way you're not going to forget the ice pack. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you're going to, you're going to get your juice or your drink for your child and you pull it out of the freezer the morning of, and it keeps your food fresh until lunchtime. And you know, if you're, if your kid likes the slushy kind of juice, then they have that as well. It's fun for them. Something different, it reduces items in the lunchbox, gives you more room, and it's just a convenient way to keep everything really fresh. Oh, that's perfect. We do that for picnics. Oh, yeah. Yeah, right. bottle of water goes alongside, uh, yeah. you know, the, the bottle iced, of wine. and Yeah, yeah exactly. And <laughs> it's bottle of water. frozen and uh, as, it, uh, as it melts or defrosts, thank you, then the same concept works. a bottle works. of water with you. It's perfect. It's wonderful. Same concept works for the kids' lunch. How do you make sure that your kids' lunch is trade-proof? Is there a lot of trading going on still, Leah, in yeah, schools? Yeah, there is. But, you know, you can make it trade-proof. I say just think about what you loved when you were a kid for me. I loved pudding, and I loved anything chocolate. So if you put chocolate pudding together, there's no way in the world I'm going to trade it. Actually, I don't even know, you know, at this stage, sometimes it doesn't make it into the lunchbox in my house. <laughs> but uh, snack pack, you can't go wrong with the snack pack. And again, for parents, you know, you can feel good about it because it's made with real milk, and it's 30% of the daily recommended value of calcium for your child. And they have a new line of flavors. You're not going to believe it. It's like... Chocolate cupcake, apple pie a la mode, um, frosted sugar cookie. I mean, you know, if we could have been so lucky when we were a kid. I was going to say, wait a second. And tell us the brand again. It's Snack Pack. It's Snack Pack. Yeah. Oh, that's super cool. All right. So we're looking for those flavored chocolate milks. Yeah. That definitely does satisfy a sweet tooth. Any other tricks? Anything else that we can do to keep our kids engaged with lunch? Well, I think just simple things, you know, some of them are standard or standbys, like making, you know, faces on the sandwiches or put little love notes in, you know, make it a treasure hunt, those kinds of things. But just if you choose fresh foods out of the gate and and you keep the foods fresh all day long, you balance the meal and and include some items like the snack pack that, you know, that the kids really love. 
they're going to want to open their lunchbox at lunchtime, and they're going to they're going to be um, you know they're hungry, and it'll help them perform better all day long, and it'll give them the balance and the, nutri the nutrition that they need, and they'll feel better. So. It's, a, it's really a win-win all the way around. It definitely is. It's the school lunchbox revolution, Leah Guy, leading the way. Where can we find more info, Leah, all the information on the products that you mentioned as well? Sure. You go to uh, tipsontv.com. Tipsontv.com. Uh -huh. All right, very good. If my lunch is better than yours, Leah, I'm letting you know I'm not trading. Okay. I'm not either. I got the snack pack. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Cool lunch boxes, hot food, cool drinks, thousands of ways to make your children's lunch more appetizing. She is Leah Guy. You can find her Sage Advice column across the country and her hosting her celebrity talk show called Who's on Deck. We appreciate you sharing your passion and here's to a great school year. Thank you so much. As the delicious conversation continues, making your life better, your family lives better, your children's lives better, one meal at a time. There is more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Don't go away. If you're flavor obsessed, then you are definitely in the right place, delivering the world of food directly to your radio. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana, as the delicious conversation continues. It's been way too long since Russ Parsons has graced this radio show, and we are so delighted to have him back. There is a celebration planned, an event that will highlight the distinct aspects of food culture here in Southern California, and it is happening Labor Day weekend. Mark your calendars. The Los Angeles Times is hosting its annual celebration called The Taste, a gastronomic event that I like to say has no culinary boundaries. It's coming up Labor Day weekend once again, September 1st through the 3rd at Paramount Studios with delicious events planned for all three days. Russ Parsons has been a Los Angeles Times food editor and columnist for more than 20 years. He's the author of award-winning cookbooks, and he's been inducted into the James Beard Foundation's Who's Who of Food and Beverage. Along with Russ in your radio is Alex Weiser. He's the president of Weiser Family Farms, and his family has been growing specialty vegetables and fruits in Kern and San Bernardino counties for many, many years now, practicing sustainable farming techniques. We are delighted to have you both, and we're so looking forward to the taste. It's great to be here. <laughs> uh, welcome back, Russ. Uh, tell us uh, how life is at the LA Times once again. Oh, it's going. You know, we've we've had a year of transitions. We went from a standalone section about six months ago to the new Saturday section, which has changed somewhat what we're doing. Mm -hmm. I think we're adapting to it. I'd like to hear from from your listeners and from people at the, when they come out to the mm -hmm. taste and let us know what they think. You know, it, it, it's more active. It's more involving, somewhat fewer essays, but kind of more hands-on. This is stuff that you can do on a Saturday morning. Right. We think that the learning is better than ever. I love reading you online. I loved the recent, recent column on zucchini. You say it's oh, the star you. of summer. Yes, because while the heirloom tomato gets all of its glory, oftentimes the zucchini is left in the dust. Poor little zucchini. The poor zucchini. I'm sure Alex has something to say about zucchini, but tell us, Russ, you had 30 ideas of what to do with zucchini, and what did you make yesterday? Well, it was kind of scary, you know. It's like, <laughs> I thought, well, well, what have I done on zucchini lately? And I, I went, just over the last couple of years, I collected 
a little bit more than a dozen. And then when I broadened it to include everything that we had done in the food section, I had I had 31. So it was like a month of zucchini. Each of them has its own recipe and its own color photograph and all of that kind of stuff. Mm. So it was it's a lot of fun. What did I do uh, yesterday? Was real simple. I just um, I sliced it about oh maybe two millimeters thick uh, lengthwise, brushed it with garlic flavored olive oil and. Mm grilled it, and then uh, layered it with fresh basil. So, when it, so as it cooled, it absorbed the, the fresh basil flavor. Oh, that sounds beautiful. I love zucchini. It's kind of, you know, it's, kind of, it's, it's a little bit of a blank canvas. You yes. Know, it's, it's sweet, and it's nutty, and it complements almost everything. I agree with you, and it's a very porous vegetable, so you can actually infuse the flavors that you like. It's fresh, and it's simple, and it is sustainable, and that's exactly what the Field to Fork event is that the two of you will join together for coming up on the Saturday of Labor Day weekend, Saturday, September 1st. Tell us about what we can expect from Los Angeles Times, the taste, and more specifically, uh, why true foodies are going to run to where you are on that Saturday. Well, Field to Fork... Um, it, when we were thinking about putting together uh, uh, three days of programming for this, well, the, we wanted to, to represent as accurately as we could the way we see uh, dining and cooking in Southern California. And, of course, farmers markets are fundamental to that. Mm-hmm. I mean, everything stems from having all of these wonderful, perfect, ripe ingredients available for us. And so, obviously, the first thing that we wanted to start out off with was something that would pay tribute to that. And we've got a, I think we've got a lot of fun things lined up. Alex is going to bring in a mystery ingredient, and we've got David LaFave from MB Post and Ray Garcia from FIG, hmm. and they're not going to know what it is and then, until the last minute, and then they'll have 45 minutes to prepare a dish using that as a signature ingredient, and, some, and then we'll have other ingredients there. So, it's, you know, that's kind of like taking that mystery box thing and, and, and exploring how different people's, different people's kind of creativity works. Um, we're also going to have a miniature farmer's market there. You know, this is one of, the, one of the differences of the taste is that you pay your money to get in, and then we don't nickel and dime you all the way down the road. Once you're in the door, everything's free. And so we've got lots of great restaurants lined up, but this time we've also got a miniature farmer's market. We're, we're going to have some of our, our favorite farmers, including Alex, and they'll be cutting samples that you can try different things that they grow, and they'll be talking to you about where they grow and how they grow. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be cooking demonstrations from chefs, and there's going to be a panel discussion on the future of farmer's market. Super cool. I can't wait to experience it. I will say, Alex, that your very biodiverse, as you call it, farm, creates some of the most incredible produce we've ever tasted. And I won't ask you to name oh, what the secret you. ingredient is, uh, but maybe it will come from the heirloom melon side of your farm because Lana and I were recently at the Santa Monica Farmer's Market standing next to Chef Josiah Citron eating your melon. It was some of the best I have ever tasted. Oh, thank you very much. Well, we try hard, and it's uh, good soil and lots of sun and lots of Russ, I know you're a fan too. You'd made a comment recently about um, Alex Weiser's or the Weiser Family Farm melon for breakfast. Oh man, I live on them. (laughs) Quite seriously, I probably buy three every Sunday at the Long Beach Marina Farmers Market, and that's what I live on for breakfast all through the week. Mm. My usual breakfast is a a wedge of one of those good melons and just a little graham cracker and peanut butter and 
banana kind of thing just to get me through the day. If I could, I would live on those melons. And if I could, I would as well, Alex. We do like burrata or ricotta on toasted French bread and then a big wedge of your melon and a good drizzle of honey over the toast. And we just imagine like we're back in Italy. Alex, you grow more than melons, though. In fact, you've become synonymous with potatoes. And for as long as I know, Wiser Family Farms has always grown the best fingerlings. So tell us what's on the horizon next. Well, of course, we have another fresh crop of uh, fingerling potatoes coming out of Tehachapi very soon. And we're going to have sunchokes and parsnips and Romanesco cauliflower and sprouting broccoli and crumbs and dry beans and purple Brussels sprouts and and I can keep going. Uh, <laughs> it's a cornucopia. And we'll still have melons for another uh, two months. So there's going to be a merge of seasons. We'll still have a lot of our summer crops, like eggplant and peppers, but incoming our, our, our fall crops too. So it's a great time of year at the market and a great time for a market basket challenge. Yeah, that, that it certainly is. That's how I graduated culinary school, gentlemen, with a mystery basket of ingredients that I knew, uh, you know, no idea of prior to their arrival. We heard rumor that you are very loyal to L.A., which we knew, Alex. But do you not have a Laker Baker potato on its way? You know what? I don't know if I can call it that, but uh, <laughs> they are purple and gold potatoes on the outside and striped. And being an L.A. guy and loving what, the Lakers. What, what? <laughs> If you call it a Laker potato, does that mean that Dr. Jerry Buss gets a cut of it? Uh, that's what I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the call. Wait, does it mean we win the championship next year? You know what? The first time we came out with it, uh, that first year they won a championship. So we, we call it a championship potato. Yeah, you got to bring it back, <laughs> Alex. Baker. You have to bring it back. We will. And it's in. And it could be in the mystery basket. Who knows? You never know. And in order to find out... You have to come. I was just going to say, field to fork, Russ Parsons, of course, Los Angeles Times food editor at the helm on Saturday, September 1st. Three days of extraordinarily delicious events going on at Paramount Pictures Studios. Five great events over the three days. It's Los Angeles Times, The Taste. You'll find Russ Parsons and... Alex Weiser, oh, Alex Weiser, rather, of Weiser Family Farms on Saturday, along with two incredible talents, right? David Lefebvre of MB Post and Chef Ray Garcia of the Fairmont Miramar in Santa Monica restaurant called The Fig. It's a tribute to fresh ingredients and seasonal dishes, and it's farmer's market and backyard garden-driven, and it's an event that you won't want to miss. Three days of festivities. Tickets can be found at latimes.com forward slash the taste. Gentlemen, we'll see you there, and we thank you so much for sharing your passion, and we look forward to having you back on again soon. We'll see you, Jamie. Thank you. And thanks to you both. As the delicious conversation continues, this is your culinary playground. Stay tuned. There's more fabulous food right after this. Welcome to the second hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. 
celebrating summer, Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. He is the award-winning chef of the Marine Room in La Jolla, which we can't get enough of. Chef Bernard Gias graces us with his extraordinary passion and talent often here on the show. And we love that he's located just nearby in La Jolla at the La Jolla Beach and Tennis Club and at the helm of the Marine Room. He's right at home in La Jolla because it's Chef Bernard's affinity for the coastal lifestyle that reminds him of his home in Brittany. He insists that a good cook is a sorcerer who dispenses happiness on a plate. I love that quote. And he's bringing joyful dishes to your radio this morning. A bonjour, Chef. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're glad to have you back. Happy summer to you. Happy summer to you as well. This is my favorite um, pretty much summer of the year. But, you know, I like spring, I like fall, but in the summer, my God, the farmer's market explodes. I know. You can't get enough of that seasonal produce. So tell us what you're cooking with now. End of summer corn, or is it the beautiful tomatoes? Well, I think you already nailed it. We have amazing tomatoes. I mean, when you look at it, you go to the farmer's market over here, you have about, oh, 20, 30 different types of tomatoes, and Mm -hmm. they all tell you a different story. By the time you taste them, you will see that the acid are different, the sugars are different. So I'm having a lot of fun doing that. I do actually a tomato carpaccio, so all vegetarian, with a little bit of burrata. Mm, Very, very sexy. Then, of course, it's melon time. So Adam Room right now has a little amuse-bouche we do an heirloom melon shooter with a bit of fennel pollen, which is to die for. Mm. And with that, a little bit of lemon bottle oil is really delicious. But, you know, we also can talk about root vegetables, celery root, for example. They are just gorgeous right now. They so are. A I, salad with that is yes. delicious. I agree, Chef. And I want to mention, because you bring up root vegetables, which I think are so synonymous with winter, but there are wonderful root vegetables during the summer that might be overlooked, and celery root being one of them. It's a wonderful addition to a good chicken stock or a good broth or a good soup during the winter. But during the summer, I like to cut it thin, julienne it, like especially on the mandolin, and throw it into a salad. It just has a beautiful texture and flavor to it. You are so French. (laughs) Oh, it makes a great (laughs) slaw, too. Wait, let's go back, though. The melon shooter. That sounds like it could be... The perfect first course or starter, an amuse-bouche, which we all love in the fine dining restaurants that we enjoy across the country, like the Marine Room, a little, as we call it, a taste from the chef or a kiss from the chef. Uh, oh, yes. Tell us- it, is, it is actually a bisou from the chef. A bisou, But the way yes. I do it is I take the heirloom melon and you have to process it chilled, which means you will puree it when it's nice and cold. And you have to make sure that your blender is nice and cold as well. So like this, it doesn't really damage at all the flavor profile of the lemon, of the melon. Interesting. So, this being said, what we do is we puree it and we strain it to a fine sieve twice. So it is really, really silky. It is just amazing. And do you season it or flavor it at all? Well, yes. I put a little bit of absinthe. Absinthe. And then a little bit of lemon myrtle oil and fennel pollen. So this would be the perfect shooter. But what you could do is you could do some rock shrimp Ooh. salad right in the center of a plate. And then mm. you put that melon nectar mm. all around it, a little mm. bit of micro fennel on top, mm. and it would be just to die for. That would be just amazing. Oh, that sounds fabulous. I just drooled on the microphone. When you say <laughs> lemon myrtle oil, I want to clarify, Chef, with your beautiful accent. It's not lemon motor oil. 
But Montreal, no, Myrtle, <laughs> Myrtle. That Lemon was, Myrtle. <laughs> Lemon Myrtle is actually a little bush, a little tree, who grows in Australia mm. and is usually used for massage. Yes. But the one used for massage has camphor in it. This one is pure. It is so delicious. Three drops of that lemon myrtle, you will have the best lemon oil ever. So you just learned, you heard it here first, how to make the ultimate lemon oil. And now we're all going to be sourcing our new favorite ingredient from Chef Bernard Guias. If you just tuned in, you're late. We're planning your end of summer feasts with the Marine Room Executive Chef, Chef Bernard. We love having him here. Chef, inspire us to picnic, if you would, because one of the things I love about summer, and I haven't done it enough this summer, is the excitement of a picnic, even if you're only packing a few things at the last minute and you're heading down the street to the park or you're taking it to the beach, uh, it might be nothing fancier than, you know, a, a simple roast beef and blue cheese sandwich. But there's some wonderful picnic foods that you can carry with you that are extraordinarily elegant and gourmet. Well, I got to tell you, one thing was definitely delicious. I mean, it's elegant to a certain extent, I guess, if you do a nice roasted chicken. Mm -hmm. You do, I mean, this is the way that me and my family would do, would, would, this is what we would have as a picnic in France on Sundays. And it's really amazing because my father would go fishing and then we will picnic on the on the bank of the river, mm. and it would be just delicious. We would have that, that roasted chicken. Then mom would do a tomato salad with a little bit of prosciutto and mozzarella and salt, pepper, extra virgin olive oil and basil. Mm. Very, very simple. Yes. They don't have this only in Italy. They also have it in Brittany. And then you will have like an haricot vert salad with a little bit of toasted almonds, just things that travel well. And then for dessert, it would be super simple. It would be something like this. A nice little trifle made with uh, yogurt, because my grandmother will make her own yogurt at home. So we'll have the yogurt, we'll have the fruit salad, and that would be it. It would be just simple. Well, maybe some, some cookies that grandma would make as well, but, you know, mm. that's about it. Chef, everything you describe makes me so incredibly hungry. Lana, every time Bernard comes on the radio, you know, it's mm. eight-something, nine-something in the morning, and I, I cannot wait for lunch. I think we should all rush down to San Diego. Right? I, I agree. But a picnic, a picnic is not only about the food. It's it's really the sharing of that food. Yes. And also mm. it's the presentation. It would not be in serving Tupperware. My mom will have those plates and platters where she could put all those ingredients on top of it. It's a feast. It's a celebration. Mm. It's what life is all about, you know? It's true. And it doesn't matter if you're taking your blanket out to the backyard and laying it down and then emptying out the picnic basket just steps from the kitchen. You're right. It's about the memories that you create, the time that you spend with friends and family, the fact that you're sharing a picnic. And I love all the foods that you mentioned because all of them fall under the room temperature category for me. There are certain foods that just taste better at room temperature, although piping hot, Often, you know, very good for a roast chicken and, and a necessity for soup. But there's something beautiful about the flavor of a tomato that's never been refrigerated, that's been held and kept at room temperature or just taken off the vine, that you take on a picnic. The alico vert and the almonds come alive with flavor because they're at room temperature. The chicken, all the juices recirculate once out of the oven. And if you can just pack it in your picnic basket and take it with you, 
I can only imagine how incredibly fresh all of those tastes were. That's what I call a slow food picnic basket because it's all natural, it's yes. all beautiful, it's very simple, it's great for every ages. You can, you can mm. cover from a, a young kid to, to, to grandma and grandpa, it's not a problem. I mean, it's, it's, really, it's really delicious. And with that, don't forget a little drink. So we will make our own lemonade, and we make our own uh, apple seeds, so it will be like apple juice with uh, um, the lemonade that we have in France is actually sparkling lemonade. Yes. Then, then you put it together to so give it a little fizz. You call that an really apple fun. fizz? Yeah, apple fizz. Apple yeah. fizz. Oh, I yeah. can't wait to try it. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the reason why they would do that is because the the um, uh, mom and mom, dad, and the, and the rest of the family, the grown-up, will have champagne. So that would be our version of champagne. So we can join the celebration. Mm-hmm. Because oh, otherwise... Okay. You know, there is there is a disconnect, and we will be all connected by having the bubbles. By, by something celebratory in the form That's of fizz. It. I love it. Chef, a minute or two left here, and it wouldn't be a conversation with you without the topic of seafood. Certainly your affinity, your specialty, your expertise. At the end of summer, tell us what we should be grilling, poaching, and tasting from the fish market. All right. Soft shell crabs, everybody. Mm. And it's going to go for another month or so, and then it's au revoir. They are gone. Maryland soft shell crab, live, mm. beautiful. So those, you can make it sautéed or you can make it tempura. And, it, and tempura is like a little beignet. It's really delicious. Yes. I serve it, actually, with currant tomatoes and sweet corn relish, little bourbon sauce with this, some shaved celery root. is really delicious. Alaskan halibut is topped with red walnut, delicious red walnut. Hard to find, but if you can source it, it's just amazing. And then you have your, of course, Alaskan salmon. I mean, the king salmon right now is running like mad. Incredible. And, uh, uh, this, you know, uh, one really cool thing to remember. Everybody loves to, to, to eat salmon, but not everybody knows how to cook it properly. I'm going to give you a, a couple of uh, ideas how to cook it on the grill. You have to sear it on a hot grill flesh first, and you have to make sure that you buy your salmon skin on, and then you flip it and you finish it on the skin. The skin may stick on the grill. Don't worry about it. You don't have to eat it. But in the meantime, it protects the fish. Cook your fish medium rare. By the time that you arrive at the table and everybody has a glass of wine back at my house, mm-hmm. well, a couple of minutes will go by, but it will stay nice and medium. It will be just perfect. So these are the things that you have to remember. Really care about your protein, about your fish. Do not overcook. Yellowtail are running as well. Mm-hmm. So for yellowtail, you can sear it as well, grill it, or sashimi style. Oh. It's just delicious. Okay, we'll be right there. You had me at yellowtail sashimi on the marine room menu, sitting by that window washing the waves crash. It is his blend of culinary excellence, the uncompromising service, the beachfront setting. It is no wonder why the marine room is a true San Diego landmark. Simply stated, it is truly some of the finest dining across the country. Don't miss high tide dinner season at the end of August. And as we come into fall and the menus change, Bernard Gias's cuisine only gets richer. You'll find him in La Jolla at the Marine Room, and you'll hear him here as often as we can get him in your radio. Chef, we always love when you share your passion, and we thank you. We wish you a delicious end of summer. Merci. My pleasure. It was always good to share the love with your 
audience. Wow, merci, chef. Bye-bye. As the delicious conversation continues, we'll be right back. I love living in Southern California, one of the great food meccas. Do you have adventurous taste? Well, a dedicated team of Los Angeles's most accomplished food and drink journalists have scoured the city to find the best from dives to date night destinations, from bakeries to butchers, from um, food that's fast to gourmet to go and gastro pubs, cheesemongers to coffee houses. There is a new manual for the food lovers in Los Angeles. It's called Eat Los Angeles Returns. It's the Food Lover's Guide to Los Angeles 2012, and it's available in paperback form and also on their website. And Colleen Dunn Bates is the publisher of Eat LA, and she joins us live to share the best of the city this morning. Good morning, Colleen. Good morning, Jamie. We're glad to have you here and in our radios. So uh, give us the lowdown. What is um, the newest, hottest find for fabulous food in Los Angeles right now? Well, the trend is is casual uh, in general. As people have probably noticed, what's opening up all over the place are... uh, Gourmet burger places, uh, Neapolitan pizzeria, you know, wood-burning pizza. I think because of the affordability factor, we're seeing really good examples of those all over uh, Southern California. Uh, but where the most exciting, some of the most exciting food is, um, is in the pop-up restaurants, and in particular, some of them are settle down and find a permanent home. And one of them uh, is is brand new. It's downtown, and it's called Alma. And it's in the fashion district on Broadway, and it was a pop-up for about a year, and then they've they've got a permanent home now, and some really exciting food is coming out of that. At the pop-ups, that play, you know, these chefs can experiment some more and and push the boundaries, um, and that's where you get you know instead of just having to turn out the same pizza and burgers all the time. So that's where you can see some exciting things right now. Which I think is fabulous. You know, uh, there are so many chefs and friends of ours here in Orange County and Southern California, all across L.A., that have a newfound opportunity to really highlight their extraordinary talent in the sort of pop-up genre where they're not limited by a restaurant or by the particular uh, style of cuisine that that restaurant or even that location has become known for. And that's what pop-ups are to me, is it's just a new adventurous state of food. Yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's hard to keep up with, just like the food trucks. Thing, you know, <laughs> right. You know what's happening. But uh, I much prefer the pop-ups to the food trucks because I personally like to sit down when I eat. So uh, food trucks are fun, but it's hard to eat standing up at a curb all the time. <laughs> yes, yeah, so that it is. Tell us a little bit more about Alma. Who is the chef behind the pop-up? Uh, his name is Ari Tamor, and um, he's actually he's related to Julie Tamor, the famous director. Yes. Uh, he's a nephew or something. And he's a young guy, and he's got a young sous chef who's, uh, who's now, who just started cooking the lunch. The sous chef's in charge of lunch, and hmm. um, they are they're doing some – what I find exciting is it's some real inventive – combinations without being overly molecular gastronomy you know they're, they're so for instance right this it changes every week because it's truly market-based but i know this summer he's been making a corn soup that is the most incredible thing i've ever had and it mm. starts with a a, a nastur- this sounds strange but it's not really when you have it a nasturtium ice cream so it's cold they're cold uh, and then the, the 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 server pours the warm hot corn soup over that and it's just extraordinary 
It sounds extraordinary. I love the idea of the hot and cold, the textural difference on the palate. Yeah, it really, Beautiful. It really works. Um, so that's, that's a lot of fun. I, and that's, so that's one of my favorite. But it's, you know, it's funky and casual, and they, they don't have a wine license yet, and it's on the less glamorous south end of Broadway. So, yes. You know, that's typically what you're going to see at a lot of pop-ups, and they're going to be in, you know, odd locations, or where, mm. it's where you can find a spot. And so. and that's really what the food truck uh, race, we'll call it. I mean, that's what the whole extraordinary food truck blooming uh, really stemmed from, which was finding a corner where you had a massive amount of audience and you could start building a following. Then you used social media to start attracting attention from far and wide. So from a food truck perspective, tell us how far we've come. The Kogi truck still has a line around the block. Isn't it incredible? Yeah, Amazing. What's happened now is it, it, it for, a, for a while it was really in central, just a few key hipster neighborhoods, but now it's everywhere. Um, uh, you know, the food trucks are in Orange County. The food trucks are in uh, Altadena. Mm-hmm. They are uh, in the, the um, more suburban areas now, and, and it's not it's the good ones are going out because they realize that there's, there's a market there. So, um, you know, there's in a residential neighborhood in Altadena, you've got the Lardone truck you know, going up the hill and parking there. So hmm. I think it's that it's, it's spread out. There's been some crashing and burning. I think there was, a, you know, there were too many of them. But the good, so some of them have gone out of business. But the good ones are, are hanging in there. And, uh, and uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a trend. It's a young trend. It's people who are happy to stand in line for an hour because that's part of the social aspect of it. You know, you're out hanging out in the on a summer evening. Yeah, but it's where some of the food trends are starting and stemming from. And there are neighborhoods that have taken over the food scene in Los Angeles, one of them in Culver City. There's some really fabulous food going on. In fact, restaurants that are just steps away from one another. Waterloo and City in Culver City just steps from A-Frame. Lana and I had an incredible meal at A-Frame, which is um, Roy Choi, the Kogi truck uh, inventor and developer who now has a brick and mortar. Order. Waterloo and City is getting a lot of great acclaim as well. And there's a review posted um, on your website and in the book about it, too. It's eat-la.com for those that are looking to read along. Yeah, Waterloo, as a matter of fact, I've tried repeatedly to get to A-Frame, and it's so hot, you know, I, you can't get in. Um, <laughs> or you have, if you can't wait a long time. So I've, I'm, uh, I've been to Waterloo and City many times, and it's it, Waterloo City is, is representative of a trend you're seeing all over L.A., which is uh, these upscale pubs. Um, that are, you know, they're, they're, they, you can go in and just have a beer if you want, or you can have a pizza, or you can have a full three-course meal. And so we're seeing those kind of places with quality ingredients and, you know, good wine, good beer. Uh, but it's really a, a pub environment, and that's a, a trend I think is great because it, it, it frees people from the constraints of, oh, you're going to a restaurant and have to have all these, if you just want to have a, a snack or a happy hour. So. Well, that's what Waterloo and City is to me. It's sort of like perpetual happy hour, small plates, these beautiful terrines in French-style fashion. You know, he's making really gorgeous pâtés, and he sets out what is the most beautiful charcuterie platter you've ever seen. And you can sort of progressively dine, right? You could have furikake popcorn at A-frame if you can get your foot in the door. <laughs> and then you can move over to Waterloo City and have a big, beautiful uh, terrine board and sit down to a glass of wine. 
wine and then continue to make your way. There are hot neighborhoods and great pop-ups and lots of new finds. And you'll find all the favorites and food truck coverage and a guide to the city's best hangouts in the newest release of Eat Los Angeles. It's the Food Lover's Guide to L.A. And it is compiled by Colleen Dunn-Bates and a group of dedicated food and drink journalists. Colleen, we know um, that you are also the Los Angeles restaurant critic for Westways Magazine, too. And we do appreciate your passion for food. You can find out more at eat-la.com. As the delicious conversation continues right after this, Top Chef Master Michael Schlau brings the best of Boston. Don't go away. We're going to make you hungry for more. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Welcome back. I love this story. In 1985, Brooklyn-born chef Michael Schlau traded his baseball scholarship and a 92-mile-an-hour fastball for a set of knives in a place at the Academy of Culinary Arts in New Jersey. It was a very wise career move that has resulted in a prolific career. His five critically acclaimed restaurants, his titles having earned Best Chef in the Northeast by James Beard, Best Chef in Boston, Top Chef Master, the list goes on. He was named one of Food & Wine Magazine's top chefs in the country, have proven that Michael Schlau is a superstar chef. He joins us once again this morning. It's been way too long to dish on his culinary style, to tell us what he loves about summer, and to disclose his favorite bar in Boston for the next time you travel to Beantown. We're glad to have you back, Chef. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me back on. Yeah, pleasure. It's been way too long, and you've been up to lots of wonderful things. I have been doing a lot. I've uh, been opening up some restaurants. I even got married since we've last spoke. Oh, Mazel Congratulations. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. So, no, life is good here in Boston and uh, doing really well. We have a bunch of new restaurants, and uh, it's just been, it's been, it's been great. Well, we want to talk about Happy's. I love the name. One Thank of Michael's you. new restaurants, Happy's. That just makes you want to go there. Happy's <laughs> is for everybody and sort of any time of the day. It serves breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it really is supposed to be sort of a neighborhood place. It feels as if it has been there for 50 years. We even had mm. these great sign makers come and do these neon signs. And they sort of bang them up on purpose so they look as if they've been weathered and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. We're having a ball with that restaurant. Oh, super fun. Tell us what you're cooking there now. I mean, we're in the heat of summer. What excites you about summer when it comes to creating menus? Well, you know, uh, in Boston, we have 10 uh, distinct seasons, most of them cold and wintry. So we only have about <laughs> eight weeks of summer here. And so you really want to take advantage of it. And we do have some really wonderful produce here. But also being on the shore, we have the most amazing seafood here. Oh, you and do, so we, you we, do. We, we want to make sure we celebrate that. And so even if it's simple things like the local striped bass that runs uh, in July and August, we always make sure we highlight that. And we have really fantastic corn. But, you know, right now uh, I'm doing a lot of stuff, but a lot of grilling also. And very, very simple things from, you know, grilled skirt steak to uh, grilled uh, salmon. And also we always have our famous hamburgers on the menu. So everybody sort of... Uh, get suckered into those for the summertime for sure. Okay, so give us some burger tips if you would because Michael, there is the most delectable looking burger on your website at michaelschlau.com. It has two cheesy dripping sauces <laughs> and there are these Wait, I have to go on. There are these crispy caramelized looking onions on top. And if you could tell us how to make it, I would be forever grateful. Sure. Well, you know, it's funny. That hamburger was something that I really just would make for friends and family when they would come to my house for a barbecue. And, 
it really started to get a little bit of a following. And when the recession hit in full force, I ended up putting it on the menu at Radius. And Rachel Ray invited me to the South Beach Food and Wine Festival to make this particular hamburger. I didn't know it was a competition, and it won uh-huh. Best Hamburger in America wow. uh, when we did it, which was really flattering and wonderful. And there is some tricks to it, for sure. You know, we've all been invited to those um, those uh, barbecues and cookouts where the burgers are a little overcooked and sort of dry. And so one of the tricks to making a great hamburger is I put a tablespoon of extra virgin olive oil into every patty. So even if you like your burger cooked through, that olive oil will stay adhered to the meat and will keep it pretty juicy. But the other trick, I think, and the most important one when you're cooking any protein, but especially hamburgers, is to start it off on high heat, but then move the hamburger to a little bit lower temperature or up on a shelf if you have that kind of grill at home where you have a, a, a shelf above the grill. And uh, the indirect heat, the slower cooking, will make it for a much juicier and better sort of mouthfeel to a hamburger. Okay, mm. now we have a great big gorgeous Twin Eagles grill that we cook and test recipes on, Lana and I. Mm-hmm. And it does have a shelf, you know, just set up above the main heat source. So I'm going to learn to move my burgers up. But the question I have is, when you say a tablespoon of olive oil per patty, is it rubbed all over the meat once the patty's formed, or is it mixed in? Yeah, it's actually mixed right into the meat. So what I do is I season the meat with a little bit of salt and pepper, and depending on how many burgers, obviously, I'm making, I put a tablespoon of olive oil per burger, some good extra virgin olive oil. It doesn't have to be anything super fancy and super expensive, but just good quality. And I mix it right into the meat, and I do make sure that the meat is an 80 to 20 blend of meat to fat. If you go any leaner than that, you do have a chance for a drier hamburger as well. So. Uh, the fat content is important when you're dealing with a hamburger. And this actually works, though, for turkey burgers, too, if you want to try turkey or ground chicken. Oh, um, great idea. The, the olive oil works really, really well for it. Chef, do you use only chuck, or do you believe in a blend or mix of meats? I like a blend of mix uh, of meats. I personally like chuck, uh, or what they call chuck roll, even, which is a little bit different cut than what you might see in the supermarket. I like chuck roll a little bit of brisket, and sirloin. Those three really make, I think, the best hamburger. But the problem is right now the commodity price is going through the roof. The hamburger meat is going a little crazy right now. So it is getting expensive to make a hamburger. Yeah, but so worth it. it you is. know, I, I think that's one thing that's very interesting. When it comes to a hamburger, it used to be that you were buying, you know, inexpensive ground beef, and it was a way to cost-effectively put dinner on the table. But because meat prices are on the rise, and because we're all very savvy food lovers now, if you're going to make a hamburger, I believe it should be the best hamburger that you can make. I could not agree with you more. There is nothing more disappointing than when you finally say, okay, today I'm going to splurge. I'm going to, I want that great, juicy, nostalgic hamburger. Yes. And if you get one of those dried out hockey pucks, mm. there's just nothing worse and no, nothing more disappointing, that's for sure. That's true. What are the two cheesy sauces in the crispy, crazy good onions? The onions are onions that we do actually without any flour. They are gluten-free, and a way of doing it is you slice it very, very thin, and then you put it into a regular room temperature pot of oil. And you bring it up to a boil uh, over high heat, then you lower that heat to medium or so, and eventually they will get golden brown and crispy, and what you do is just lay them out on paper towels, and that sort of natural sugar that's been in the onions uh, has melted a little bit, if you will, for sort of an analogy, and then as it hardens and cools, they get crispy and crunchy. It's like a slow fry almost. Exactly, exactly. It takes a little bit longer, but it's worth it, and if you have to do a lot of them, if you're cooking for a lot of people... 
then put a little flour on them and make a bigger pot and do it at a higher heat and you'll get the same crispy onions. But if you want them without any flour at all, there is a way to do it. And then the two sauces actually, one is just really good cheddar cheese that's been melted. Mm. And then the white sauce on that burger that you're looking at is a horseradish black pepper sauce. So this is a no ketchup hamburger. No ketchup hamburger, says Chef Michael Schlau. Yes. Love it. Okay. And, and what I would say, one of the things that I'm really excited about at Happy's that I might have to do at all of our restaurants is when you get this burger, I really strongly suggest we're now serving adult milkshakes, they're called. Okay, uh, wait. I read this on Twitter. <laughs> and by the way, good morning, food lovers. If you've just tuned in, you're late because the great Michael Schlau is here. Lana, you've had a fondness for oh, this gentleman for I, a long time, I haven't you? I am a you? great fan of yes. this, Michael. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, you have a great fanship and following here, Michael, <laughs> and we're so glad that you've come back and joined us because it's been way too long. We're dishing on burgers and everything delicious about summer with Michael Schlau, his five Boston-based restaurants, and the fact that you see him just about everywhere on television and more sharing his incredible talent right here in your radio. So keep listening. Okay, I read on Twitter that you are making boozy adult milkshakes and we want to know more you know what's interesting is that again going for a little bit of nostalgia i i I grew up in brooklyn new york and i remember my grandparents taking me to the local candy store soda shop and the guy would make us these great milkshakes with the little silver cup he'd give you the extra bit and we thought we were the coolest thing you know when we were six seven eight Mm -hmm. years old and i wanted to do an adult version of it but harking back to those types of milkshakes those old-fashioned nostalgic glasses but what we've done is through a series of testing, and it was, believe me, my pleasure to test these, <laughs> was we make homemade ice cream, and then we came up with different combinations of alcohol that would enhance the flavor and spike the milkshake. Obviously, you can have them non-alcoholic if you want, but there's some great ones from chocolate. There's a grasshopper one that's got mint chocolate chip uh, in it. and I mean, it's just they're so much fun, and they're so delicious. And Really, it's, uh, you, could, you could almost make a meal out of some of these, you know, have a couple of different ones. And the thing that's a lot of fun that we're doing is we'll even make you a little mini flight of them if you want to taste a couple of them. We'll make you small versions of them. Oh, take four I love five. that. We'll be right over. <laughs> that's really fun. Okay, so what is the best flavor for summer, do you think? Tell us how we could make one at home. I have to say that there's a combination for me that I am an absolute sucker for. I know it might not sound that summery, but I am a sucker for chocolate banana milkshake <gasps> that's been spiked with a little bit of, it's got some uh, Godiva white chocolate liqueur in it. Oh. It has a shot of Myers dark rum, a shot of uh, creme de banana, and then a little bit of, it's got one other thing in it. A little, it's, well, it's got the Myers rum in it also. That was the other one that I was thinking of. Oh. And it is delicious. But if you want something that's summery, then uh, PJ Waters, who's our pastry chef, our corporate pastry chef, has made the most delicious strawberry one. And it's made with fresh strawberry ice cream, a fresh strawberry-infused vodka that he made. Uh, that when the strawberries are really at their, at their height, he infused vodka and strawberry nice. together. And then he puts a little bit of Chambord in that as well. Oh, I thought I adored you before. <laughs> but I really adore you now. And we hope you'll stay with us. Give us a few more minutes, Michael. It would be my pleasure. Thank you. We'll take a quick break when we come back. More with the Boston favorite and, of course, spreading his culinary inspiration across the country. He is Chef Michael Schlau. This is Radio's Answer to Culinary Conversation and Inspiration. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Be right back. Informative, entertaining, and delicious. Good morning. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. Continuing the culinary conversation with Chef Michael Schlau. 
Chef, I love this verbiage on your website. On the page that's marked careers, it says, quote, we're competitive, dot, 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 with ourselves, unquote. We're always looking to put the best players on the field, trying to ensure that both our guests and our staff have the best restaurant experience of their lives, you say. How do you guarantee a delicious experience every time in your restaurants? Well, that is one of the hardest things. I mean, obviously what we've decided to do for a living as, as cooks it's a very, very personal thing. It's subjective as to who makes the best you fill in the blank. But, you know, if you try really hard and you concentrate and you don't lose focus, you can provide a really wonderful experience, even if the guests might think that they've had a better, say, bowl of spaghetti somewhere else. I mean, my goal is to not let them think that. Obviously, we want to make everyone the best. But what I wrote in that and, and what is important to me is that I also believe that it's very, very important that as the owner of the company, our goal, our whole management team's goal, is to make sure that everybody, and that means the guest as well as the staff, has the best food experience. And so if you provide that for your staff and you really implement a culture that says that, then you have a better chance of them bringing that to the guest as well. And that it is an environment that you have to build, and you can never let up on it. That's the thing, is that being in the restaurant business, you know, one bad meal, as everybody knows, you're going to tell 50 people about it. Right. One good meal, you might tell two people about it. So mm. we, we have to work really, really hard to make sure that the culture stays at a very, very high level and that our management team believes in a predisposition to serve our guests and, and our staff, too. You know, we, we treat them the same. I really appreciate that commitment. I think it says something about you as a restaurateur today, in addition to you as a chef. And um, you came up in the world with other greats. I never knew that you went to culinary school with Lee Hefter. Wolfgang's uh, culinary partner, everybody knows, of course, at the helm of Spago and now even bigger. Yes, and he is, uh, we've remained good friends, and I was actually out in L.A. to do the big event that they have in September. Last year I was there. That's where we saw you last. Yep, yes. and, and it's a, they're great. And that whole team also, you know, for, for the size of that company, they also, I mean, their commitment is unsurpassed, and I really appreciate what they've done. And Lee, we're, we, I couldn't be more proud of him. He's done so well for himself, and, uh, you know, we get to talk, you know, once or twice a year, unfortunately. We're so busy, but we do see each other once in a while, and I'm really proud of him. Yeah, the, the both of you, I think, have a mutual admiration society. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a very nice thing. Tell us, in the heat of summer, what can we expect next from you? What's on the horizon? Well, I've got a couple of things that I'm working on right now. But, I mean, cooking-wise, obviously, I'm always sort of taking a nod from, from what's going on outside my front door. So we're just getting to corn season here right now, peppers, you know, certainly some good chilies, things like that, mm, yes. are making their way into Tico, which is my American restaurant that's been influenced by Spain, Mexico, and South America. So that's a, you know, all of our restaurants are seasonally driven. I think every chef is, is driven that way. They sort of see what's going on outside and hopefully cook what they see. You know, it's very much in the Italian and European in, in general vernacular. But, you know, we're working on a couple of projects also. Our Alta Strada restaurant out in Wellesley is doing very, very well, and we'd like to try to build another one of those. It's sort of the ultimate neighborhood Italian restaurant. It's not going to challenge anybody. It's just going to give you a great bowl of pasta and a perfect pizza, mm. and it's a place you can go to every day. And so I'd like to build another one of those. We're working on that right now. And then the other thing that we are doing, because that burger has become so popular, we're looking to build our first hamburger stand right now. So we've got a couple locations that we're, we're working on in 
uh, hopefully that will happen for us as well. That's really so we're, fun. we're keeping busy, that's for sure. Oh, for sure. We'll wait in line for a burger at your stand, <laughs> Chef. We will. Um, you have the last bite, Michael, with about a minute or so left here. Would you inspire us to the best corn dish for summer? If I had one last dish that I'm going to eat. One last meal, final yeah, meal. If, if, if corn is going to be the center of attention, uh, and, we're, and I'm cooking for you here in Boston, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the local striped bass, which is some of the best fish you can eat. I'm going to leave the skin on and cook that fish with a little crispy skin and very gently on the flesh side. And I'm going to pair it with corn that's been removed from the cob, local corn, smoked bacon, mm. pickled red jalapenos, mm. and Thai basil. And that mm. is one of my favorite, favorite dishes in the world. And it's just simple, but it tastes really, really good. And I think corn is best left with, with not too many partners. You know, leave it alone. And the best way to eat it is on the cob with just some butter and salt. But if I've got a pair to make a dish, that's, that's the last summer dish I'm going to make. It, it sounds absolutely delicious, and I'll take two right now. Uh, bright and beautiful. It is the true talent of Michael Schlau's unparalleled skill that continues to influence this country and the industry from a great culinary perspective. You can find out more about Radius, Altastrada, Viamata, Tico, and Happy's Bar and Kitchen, Michael's Five Restaurants, and the Burger Bar to come at michaelschlau.com, M-I-C-H-A-E-L-S-C-H. L-O-W. He is based in Boston, but you'll find him soon to be around the globe. We hope you'll come to Southern California and bring us a, a burger stand. Thank you. You know what? I will look to do that. How will you that? Pl- Thank you. It's such a commitment. <laughs> I will definitely look to do that. That would be great. I would yes, love to do that. We'll count on you. <laughs> well, thank you for having me on. It's always a pleasure, it and a it's pleasure, great to chef. talk with you both. Thank you. Thank you. Continued success. We look forward to having you back again. Can't wait to have him back. In fact, you can find the Schlau Burger recipe posted on my website at chefjamie.com. There's more recipe inspiration there. Become a Facebook friend. You'll find my fan page on Facebook at Chef Jamie Gwen. And be sure to continue to listen every Sunday. You just might learn something because this is a place for people who love to eat. So are you planning for your Labor Day menu? Lana, we gave Michael Schlau the last bite. And I say we both get a last bite this morning. We like to finish this program with a snippet of delicious information that hopefully inspires you to cook up something fabulous this afternoon or evening because you're just going to love it so much that you can't wait to make it. And with Labor Day coming up, we're at the grill right? and we're cooking in foil. I love this concept. I mean, this is very much as you talk about from your childhood, right? Grandma always made a foil packet Mm -hmm. um, and it had a chop of some sort. Yes, she did. But, you Mm -hmm. know, using foil on the barbecue Mm -hmm. is everything from a good scouring brush because that's what I do with the leftover foil, right? Ball it up and then use it to clean the grill. But it starts as a great foil packet Mm -hmm. and you can make just about anything in a foil packet on the barbecue and we take a couple of cups of salted mixed nuts yes a teaspoon of chipotle chili powder some ground cumin and pepper uh some melted butter place it on a sheet of foil form a packet and grill it over medium heat for about eight minutes and you have what I call barbecue nuts, perfect for a cocktail. You're out at the Warm grill anyway. And salty. Oh, and so delicious. Mm. And then here's my second suggestion, my last bite for a foil packet for your Labor Day barbecue. Make your own salsa. Could be fruit-inspired, could be tomato-based, or even the green tomato, the tomatillo, which I think always adds a really beautiful, fresh acidity by combining diced either tomatillos, they need to be husked and cleaned, or diced 
sliced tomatoes or whatever of the tomato family, a fruit, as you know, you choose, along with a half a cup of diced pineapple, a little bit of minced jalapeno, and some olive oil. You form a packet and you grill it for about eight, 10 minutes, and you have this warm, fabulous salsa for mm. over chicken or pork. Top it with some chopped cilantro, and now you have spiced barbecue nuts and sensational salsa right off your grill using a foil packet. Let us know how yours turns out. We want to know. And be sure to join us here next Sunday as the delicious conversation continues. Abby Dodge, our resident pastry chef, is bringing us the best of final summer sweets. You'll hear from Noelle Carter, the Los test kitchen chef and chef Micah Wexler is going to start helping us plan for Rosh Hashanah the Jewish New Year upcoming on September 16th in fact along with Michael Ruhlman his new Salumi book is phenomenal wait till you hear inspiration and passion from the great Michael Ruhlman right here in your radio until then we hope you'll check out chefjamie.com for more fabulous food and we thank you for listening as always I'm chef Jamie Gwen on behalf of Lana as well We hope you continue to eat well.